Yes, yes. Once again, we have liftoff. I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Big Truth Podcast. And before I introduce my guest today, I got to give a big thank thank you and big shout out to the uh, Rumblers Nation, the Rumblers Car Club. Uh, this episode is sponsored by them. Um, a very, very, very generous donation today. And uh, this will help uh, pod- uh, finance the podcast for, for a few months here and, and pay for all the hosting and all that. The, the main patron didn't want me to say his name, but I will tell you he's from upstate New York and his last name rhymes with Marley. And, if, uh, and you can figure it out from there if you know him. But uh, again, big shout out and big thanks to the, uh, to the Rumblers for, for supporting the podcast. And with that, let me introduce my guest today, uh, Matt Henson from the band Noise. What's up, Matt? How you doing, bud? Oh shit! <laughs> that was my bad. I I shut his mic off. Uh, here we go. Uh, let me let me rewind. I'm a fucking retard. Here we go, Matt. What's happening, bud? Not a whole lot, brother. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It only took 16 episodes before I botched an intro, and like I said, I'm true to my word. I don't I don't really edit this thing, so fucking I'm gonna leave my mistake in there so you guys can all laugh at me. But uh, <laughs> noise is a fucking uh, you know a force to be reckoned with in the uh, oi and punk scene. So if you don't know them. Before you even just hit pause right now and just Google them and listen to a bunch of records because they've been putting music out since uh, 2010. So get familiar with their, some of their backlog, uh, pay for some downloads or pay for some uh, actual vinyl or some CDs and uh, some merch. And then then hit play again. And uh, so you'll understand Matt a little bit better before we uh, before you even go further. But I'm sure most of the people that listen to this are already familiar with you guys because you guys have, uh, you know, become uh, steadfast. Uh, like, a, 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 like I said, a, a name that a household name in the oi and punk scenes, man, and hardcore, too, It's because it's all a big crossover. Right. Yeah, it absolutely is. And for anybody that actually did pause and play our music, I apologize uh, in advance uh, or after the fact, rather. Um, sorry about sorry you had to hear that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really appreciate it. And yeah, we've been uh, we've been doing this for a little bit um, with with intermittent uh, breaks due to to my my job. But it's uh, it's been pretty it's been pretty amazing. It's a lot of fun uh, doing this for as, as as long as we have at this point. Sure, man, and we'll definitely get into the to the story of the band uh, because it, it, I'm sure it's a with a, with a ten year history. Um, I'm sure there's a lot uh, a lot there to uh, to talk about that people would find interesting. Um, and uh, just so you know, we, we you know obviously we're doing this over the phone. Uh, Matt's in El Paso, and uh, we're not. Uh, I, I don't got the funds to be jet setting around or to fly people in yet. Yet sooner or later we will, so we can do all these face to face. Any any minute, any, any minute, minute now. You'll be able to have your own your own cryogenic freeze chamber yeah. in the uh, jet. Yeah, absolutely. I just I just need a couple more car clubs to donate as much as the Rumblers did, uh, and, and I'll be all right. No, I'm, I'm just playing. I'm I playing. think I think Elon Musk has a car club. He's only got one, and it's in space. But as soon as he gets it back, maybe he can he can donate. Yeah, maybe I can be the first podcast to have SpaceX as a uh, as a as a uh, as a sponsor, and then uh, then perfect. And then you know what I got to do is make this podcast have enough. Uh, have enough kind of weight behind it where I could uh, uh, petition Elon to be the first podcaster to broadcast, uh, to do a podcast live from uh, outside of the Earth's atmosphere. 
that's that's a goal right we'll 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 we'll, uh, we'll push for that so everyone share this podcast and uh and uh and uh do it you can leave a review or something and and uh and uh spread it out in your social network so we can we can make that happen and hit hit Elon up and tell him you want truth to go in space when on on one of those uh SpaceX uh uh, uh um, civilian flights so we can uh, do a podcast live from out there yeah do it after he's been on Joe Rogan cuz he'll probably be in a way better mood yeah, yeah, he's done that one a couple times, so I'm sure Joe. I'm sure Joe would be the guy to get tapped for that. Um, you know, obviously he has a much larger, <laughs> larger audience, and and uh, for now, for now, yeah, for now he does. Well, you know, there's. I don't think there's as many people into like punk rock and motorcycles as there are into like W uh, as in as into UFC and, and comedy. So, but you know, it is what yeah, it is. I think I think we like it that way. Yeah, exactly, dude. Like, I've never, I, this, I cater to the crowd of, of people that I hang out with, and and if it if it gets any legs beyond that. Although I do got some guests coming up um, that were, are outside of those scenes, or 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 it might be somewhat involved in like punk and stuff, but are also involved in some other weird stuff that we're going to start getting into too, just as a as an aside and some foreshadowing. So, but but that's neither here nor there. So, Matt, tell me a little bit about your history, man. Like what what um. Before we even get into the band and stuff, I'm always interested in hearing uh, what got people into like punk or hardcore or oi or, or you know, whatever subcultures uh, that we're all into. Uh, like, how did you find your way into that? So I grew up in Atlanta and um, I was before I discovered like punk rock, I, I was really into hip hop um, because that's. Uh, I went to a school in Atlanta and I played basketball and some of my teammates turned me on to Tribe Called Quest. This right as like outcast was starting to blow up uh in atlanta and um i just really loved it uh i I loved um the fact that it was you know there was something that resonated with me about people really just kind of speaking about their environment and looking at you know their surroundings and making music about it and uh i think that's kind of i've always thought that that was kind of a parallel between uh, hip-hop and punk was that it's a bunch of people that are looking objectively at what's going on around them and, you know, either protesting about it or, you know, trying to identify things that need to be changed or, you know, things that are are going well. Um, And so a kid that I lived a few doors down from uh, introduced me to Meyer Threat when I was 14. And it just, the the very first song that I heard by Minor Threat was uh, Stepping Stone. And it was weird. It was like when I was a really little kid, I used to watch The Monkees. And um, this was like when I was seven years old. And that show actually was still a thing that people knew about. Um, but I immediately recognized this song. And I was like, this is, it, it kind of tied two different worlds together. So, it, you know, this may sound weird, but it sounds, it sounded as though like um, it was something that resonated with the kid, me and the teenage, I'm pissed off at everything and, you know, hate everything me. Um, and it kind of tied those two together combined with the fact that minor threat was, you know, speaking about things that they saw in society that they were, you know, clearly not content with or wanted to change or wanted to maintain. Um, so it, to me, it was just a really big revelation of what you could do with music because I grew up with, you know, traditional rock and roll and Motown, which is phenomenal for what it is. But 
Uh, it didn't have the angst behind it or the, the social wherewithal behind it in most cases. Um, not as direct anyway, because, you know, the, the social implications of like rock and roll, I, I was too young to understand. Um, so, you know, the, you know, Rolling Stone saying, please allow me to introduce myself. I had no idea what it was about the devil. I had no idea. Um, I was just I was a kid. So punk rock was a, a much more straight ahead. This is what's wrong. And this is, you know, what we think is, is wrong. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. Um, but yeah, yeah, here we, here we are. So the takeaway <laughs> is that you're probably the only dude to get into punk rock through the monkeys. <laughs> just yeah. Kidding. And I think that, uh, I think that's a great, I think it's a great uh, illustration of who I am as a person. Dude, I, I yeah, watching the, go ahead. Oh no, no. I was gonna say, I remember that dude. When I was a kid, I remember being a kid, probably about the same age and being at my grandmother's house and the reruns of that and banana splits would come on and I was watching that shit for sure. (laughs) I I watched it on TV and then uh, there's Fox 97 was the oldies channel uh, in Atlanta. And that's all my mom listened to. So I, you know, the monkeys and everybody else from the sixties and seventies. That's, but when I heard my effect cover it, I was like, wait, I know this song somehow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, that's, uh, <laughs> the weird way to get into it. But yeah, after that, I started discovering other bands and it just kind of, it snowballed from there. Sure. We're in, we're in Atlanta where I lived there for one year in 98. I was working at centers for disease control and I lived in uh, Decatur on representing North Druid Hills. That's amazing. My, so my best friend in the world, his wife actually works at the CDC, but I grew up in uh, Marietta, which is about maybe 30, 40 minutes outside yep. of Atlanta. But uh, when I first started going to shows, uh, I was at the, you know, most of them were at the masquerade uh, and around, 90, 93, maybe 94. Um, and that's kind of how I got into it. That's the scene I grew up in. And, you know, I joined the army you know, years after that and kind of got sucked out of it as far as going to shows. But when I got stationed in uh, JBLM in Washington, that's, that's kind of when I got, I was fortunate enough to be able to get back into music. Uh, and that's, you know, where noise started. Yeah, man. And then, the, you know, one of the things that I remember about Atlanta that I really liked was, uh, was uh, that area, Little Five Points. Mm-hmm. And they had that, uh, there was a bar there, the Vortex, where it was like a big skull face and you walk through, to get into the bar, you had to walk through like basically a skull's mouth or something. That's, I just kind of have a vague rem- memory of that. Absolutely. So the Vortex is still there, still has the skull. Uh, my best friend worked at uh, Junkman's Daughter, which is right down yep. the street, and then across the street. Which uh, Junkman's Daughter was tattoo. like was like a Walmart for like punk rock shit. Like I, that's all I remember. It, it was. Like, was. <laughs> it was like Walmart it size, was. but it was like such weird shit. It was like you know punk rock stuff, but also just like like wacky like gag gifts and crazy stuff like that. that there needs to be more places like that. That place is still it, there, it, Junkman's Daughter. It is still there. It is still there. It's changed quite a bit. I was there. Uh, unfortunately, my father got sick a few years, ago, a couple of years ago, and and I had to make a few trips to Atlanta. But I always tried to go to John Man's daughter, just to you know reminisce. And it's changed quite a bit. But the vortex is still there. Uh, their food is still amazing. Um, my best friend and I got our first tattoo across the street uh, at Sacred Heart. Okay. Uh, Mark from the Antiheroes used to work at Tornado, which was directly behind uh, Junkman's daughter. Um, 
so we used to go, we would hang out at uh, Tornado when we were kids. Um, the the Point used to have hardcore matinees, uh, which is like four or five doors down from Jumpman's Daughter on Moreland. Um, yeah, it, it was such an, it, such an amazing place um, to grow up. And I'm sure every, every city kind of has their, uh, their story is the, you know, yeah. why their scene was, was either great or horrible, but uh, Atlanta, man, in the nineties is absolutely amazing. It's such a fun place to, to, to grow up. Yeah. And you know, like I said, I, I was only there for a year in like 98 and, uh, you know, I went to a lot of things and I actually, um, one of, one of my f- friends was this kid, Chris, and he, he was in that Frank 151. He was doing that Frank 151 magazine, and his his roommate was this guy, DJ Lord, who was a, a big DJ and actually became Terminator X's replacement for Public Enemy. And uh, so we'd hang out at his apartment all the time, and all the guys from Public Enemy would just come through. Like, you know, uh, Professor Griff yeah, was always yeah. there. It was just very fucking bizarre place. Atlanta's a really bizarre place because it was also that club, like, what, what was it, uh, 112? And um, that's where, like, all, like, Too Short and all them dudes hung out at. And, like, you'd drive by it, and this club was, like, in a strip mall, but it was, like, the players club. Like, it looked like like the like the, like the the pimp's, like, ballroom, dude. Like, you'd see all these, like, purple Cadillacs and dudes in furs and stuff, and it's, like, fucking 98 degrees and 100% humidity and fucking <laughs> bizarre place. And there was a Tower Records there, too. Or, no, it was, like, a Whole Foods. And then... I just remember Atlanta was like weird because it was like there was like people like you know like you said like Outcast and they were getting huge and I would just run into them dudes just like at like Whole Foods and stuff all the time and, and everyone's like super <laughs> nice out there it's really bizarre and I I literally plowed into Erica Badu at the Tower Record she was like behind me and I turned around quick and I didn't know she was right there and I just like smashed right into her like a like a bull in a china shop and and, and uh, but she was she was very nice and gracious and it was. It was pretty fucking funny. Um, but yeah. yeah, Atlanta's a weird place, man. And then there's like 4,000 streets all named Peachtree. That's like the big joke. Yeah, there's every variation of Peachtree that you can possibly like Peachtree Street, Peachtree Avenue, Peachtree, you know. Lane Road, Terrace Peachtree, Drive, yeah. Peachtree Terrace, <laughs> Peachtree Cobblestone Thoroughfare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everything's named Peachtree, and it's, it's, it's hard to get around. But yeah, man, Atlanta's the quintessential melting pot of, you know, all all demographics. Yeah. And it always has been. Yeah. And, um, and I just find that, you know, generally people were, 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 it was like, you know, it was oppressively hot and, and there was a lot of fucking, I remember I had a black car at the time and I'd come out and it'd be green with the pollen, but outside of the weather, like yep. people were real cool down there. I never had any issues down there. Everyone was, it was fun. It was a good time. Um, and, uh, yeah, man. I don't know. I, 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 uh, I miss it. it. Was it was a good time. I, I don't miss it in July, but like in January, it's a good place to be for sure. <laughs> it is in the fall and in the spring. Atlanta's amazing. In the summer, eh. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. As long as you're inside, you're good. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's got air conditioning and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, man. So, so, uh, you left Atlanta and, uh, and you, you, uh, went in the military and then you got. St- you got a uh, you got you went out to Washington and and that's where you uh, got back into music and and uh, that's where uh, noise was formed. What what happened there? Like what was the um, how did uh, I know we were talking a little bit earlier, but um, you know what's the story behind noise and how that formed and what what year was that when you when you got over to when you when you got stationed in Washington? So I was stationed in Washington in two thousand six. Um, I, I left the uh, 82nd Airborne Division and went to a, a unit in um, 
at the time it was Fort Lewis, Washington, which is right outside Tacoma. But um, I I was getting tattooed uh, at a place called Tsunami, and then I met some guys at a uh, Sick of It All show who had a band, and I joined that band, and um, we did some stuff for a couple of years, um, and almost eighteen months. It really wasn't even wasn't even two years, but uh, there was a guy who worked at the tattoo shop that ended up being uh, Nate. And, uh, he wasn't my artist, but he was, um, we very quickly established that both of us listened to the same kind of music, uh, like the same kind of stuff, grew up in the same kind of scene. Uh, Nate's a new England guy, uh, that by way of San Francisco. And, um, I gave him uh, a CD of the band that I was in uh, at the time, very proudly, by the way, uh, which in <laughs> hindsight was something I probably shouldn't have done because we were really bad. Um, but, he, he picked up on it. He really, he, he liked it. Um, and he approached me about, you know, he was, he was getting some guys together to try and start a band. And around that same time, uh, I was kicked out of the band that I was in because, uh, you know, I was in the army and I couldn't tour regularly and that's something they wanted to do. Uh, so I was thrown out of that band and, uh, we started noise and, uh, yeah, it, you know, all we really were looking to do is, just, you know, we had a few songs, um, and we just wanted to kind of get it out, uh, make a record, not necessarily for anybody other than ourselves, really. We just wanted to get down what, what we had, um, so that, you know, we could look back and say, Hey, this is something that we made. And, and these are the songs that we were proud of at the time. And, and we were able to, to get it on, on a piece of vinyl. Um, so we, we went to a, in the middle of a forest, um, you know, rural Washington, but this cabin with just a phenomenal studio inside of it. And that's where we recorded uh, walk beside us, which was our first, uh, our first seven inch. And, um, you know, it, for whatever reason, it, it resonated with a, a few people. And, you know, from there we were able to do more stuff and just really enjoyed everything that we were doing. So it was definitely something that we wanted to continue to do. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, man, we were able to, to continue doing it and we're, we're still doing it 10 years later. Awesome, man. And I know with, uh, and you know, I know I'm, I'm, you know, I got a lot of friends that are in bands and, you know, in bands that all started, like, you know, I got a lot of friends from bands that are from Boston or from New York or whatever. And then, you know, as we get older and, uh, whatnot, people kind of spread around and it's always amazing to me that people can keep bands together, um, even though everyone lives in different places. Like, you know, Street Dogs, for instance, like dudes are in Texas, they're in California, they're in Massachusetts, you know, they're all over. Mm-hmm. The, and, and um, you know, how do you guys kind of manage that with you being in Texas? And is is everyone else still in Washington or is everyone kind of, is anyone else all kind of all over the place? Or So everybody else is still in Washington. Um, and the biggest challenge that noise has had is my job. Um, so it takes a tremendous amount of time management and planning, um, for us to be able to put out records and for us to play shows. And that's why we don't, um, you know, it's ironic. I was thrown out of my first band cause we couldn't tour regularly, but noise has done more, you know, we've been able to go more places than, uh, you know, we yeah. ever thought would be possible, uh, in my first band. And, and, we owe that to the people that are gracious enough to, to, to facilitate that. But um, what I always look at with noise is that I have 
three main priorities in my life. It was my family, uh, the army and, and noise. Um, because, you know, music is such an important part, you know, of, of, of what I do. But the trick is, is, is trying to balance all that. And the bigger trick is to make sure that you don't do any of that half ass and that you prioritize so that like your main priorities are being taken care of and nothing takes a back seat. So if I identify that, you know, army is going to be super busy this year, um, noise has to take a back seat because my family has to be brought up to the point where I can spend as much time with them as, as humanly possible. Um, but we've been lucky in, in as much as um, I'm able to look at my schedule and I've had, you know, commanders that are super supportive, a couple guys that are super into punk rock um, and say, Hey, you know, we have this training coming up in the four day following that I'm thinking about being able to play like, you know, Boston or New York or wherever. Is that okay? Um, and so what noise has to do is we take four day weekends and we get out, play a couple shows, come back home and everybody goes back to work because all of us have nine to five jobs. Uh, just like, you know, most, most punk bands do. Yeah. But, um, it's a, it's a delicate balance of, of being able to make sure that you fulfill your obligations because all of us have families also. And that's the number one obligation is you make sure your family's taken care of. And you know, this music doesn't pay the bills, not for us anyway. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to be a punk band that that's like a sustaining punk band, unless you can tour like nine months out of the year and sell March on the road and all that, you know, exactly, exactly. And, you know, even beyond that, um, my wife and kid, you know, go without me being around a lot because of what I do for a living. So the, the question is always, is, is this band trip, you know, is it, um, is it something that, you know, is kind of congruent with maintaining my obligations as a husband and a father? Have I been around long enough to justify going out and drinking beer with my buddies for two days while we, you know, go and play music, which we all absolutely love, but face it, man, you know, doing what I do for a living. When you go on a band trip, it's a vacation, sure. you know, like or not. Um, it's a, it's a vacation where you're not going to get any sleep because you're going to be going all kinds of different places all the time and you know load in is whenever and then you're leaving the venue at three in the morning getting three hours of sleep and then taking a flight but that's a vacation yeah. um so that, that that's really been the biggest challenge man it's just balancing my job and, and my family and uh and noise and, and really trying to do all of it as wholeheartedly and as effectively and and um all in as humanly possible. And sometimes things have to take a back seat and that's always going to be the music. It's never going to be my family or, or the army. Sure. And that's one thing that I think is interesting and, 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 you know, talking to a lot of guys and stuff like there's a lot of people that I know that have been in, you know, these music scenes for a long time and they're still here and they're still in bands and they're still doing stuff. And it's one thing to be in a band when you're 18 years old and you got nothing going on, like and, and no serious job and you can go for weeks at a time on the road and not make anything. And it's fine. Um, it's another to be, you know, you know, like you said, like, you know, having a career and, and having a, a family and then still trying to balance this. But it's to me, it's kind of shows what it means to someone or how much this music and the subculture means to somebody when um, it's still 
it's not maybe the main priority, but it's still enough of a priority where you try and squeeze it in wherever you can, you know, cause it's, it isn't a lot of payoff monetarily to do this stuff, but it, it, you know, what is the thing that drives you to keep doing this? Even though, like you said, it isn't like a thing that pays your bills. Like, what do you think at this age and having been doing it this long, what do you think still keeps you going and in, in, in doing this? I think uh, playing a show and watching a kid absolutely sing their heart out to something that you wrote in a bedroom on an acoustic guitar, thinking that nobody would ever hear it or care about it. Um, Getting a message from somebody that said, Hey man, I've had a really bad year and your music has really helped me get through it. Um, That's what, that's what the payoff is for all of this. Uh, Getting to meet, your heroes musically and getting to play music with them and call them buddies. Um, I was a huge street dogs fan before I ever knew uh, any of those guys. I never thought I'd get to play music with street dogs or do a split with the street dogs. I I never thought that would happen. Um, I never, you know, the things that we've gotten to do with this band, um, if you had asked me uh, when I was a teenager, you know, because I always wanted to be in a band. I always wanted to play music. Um, but I never thought I'd get to do it. And I never thought I'd get to do it in a capacity where I actually got to do the things that I've gotten to do with noise and none of us did. And that's why anytime we get to do something or we play a show or we release a record, um, it's a humbling experience because, you know, all the guys besides myself have been in, you know, either hardcore or punk bands. Kenny and Jesse have been in like at least five different hardcore bands out of Seattle and toured all over the place. And like you said, never made a dime, had to sleep in bands, um, you know, eat gas station food constantly. And then that's, you know, what it is. And, and, you know, it, it makes it all the more humbling that we get to do the things that we've gotten to do, um, with the people that we've gotten to do it with. Um, and that, that's not something that's lost on us, but what keeps us going is just, the resonance that, that, that takes place when you're playing. Uh, we played in Paris and there's a, um, there's a song we have that has a very distinct guitar solo. And I couldn't hear the solo because the, the crowd was actually humming the guitar solo. Jesse was playing so loud that it overshadowed his, his guitar. And it was, that was really like the quintessential moment where I was like, this is, this is amazing. Yeah. Getting to do this is absolutely amazing. I'm in France and there are people here that know every note to every song that we play. And it's, that's, and it's incredible. Um, so that, that, that's what the, that's what really the drive is. Sure. Um, cool. And, and, and um, what do you got, like, what, you know, I know you mentioned France and stuff. Have you done much touring outside of the States? Like, have you hit what, like, what are some of the countries you guys have hit? And what's been like one of your favorite places to, to play? You know, whether so that's in the States around. We haven't gotten to do much uh, outside of the country because it's such a logistical thing, especially with my job. Um, we were supposed to play Spain, and then Kenny was selfish and had a child. <laughs> um, but uh, we uh, we did a very short European tour. Where we played uh, three places in Germany, and then we played um, France, Switzerland, and uh, Netherlands. Uh, I would have to say Venlo and Netherlands was one of our best shows. Paris, Hamburg, um, Berlin was amazing. Uh, and then in the States, and there's so many different places. 
uh, New York was amazing. Boston was amazing. Salt Lake City was actually one of the best shows I think we've ever played. Um, that crowd was just, uh, I, man, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it was um, just a really, just a really remarkable experience as a, as a you know band to just be able to play. We did that one with the Street Dogs and um, uh, Get Dead. Um, but it was just a it was just an amazing show. We've played so many amazing places. Um, we did a, a brief, like, short tour in Texas years ago uh, with our friends at Broadsiders from Dallas. Uh, and that was amazing. Uh, we played Houston at, like, 1.30 in the morning, and Johnny from Street Dogs opened up for us with his uh, acoustic act. Yeah. Uh, by the time we went on, everybody had either been thrown out for fighting or was so drunk that they just couldn't, they didn't know where they were, uh, which made it a really interesting set because we played really well. That was a great set. Uh, but I don't think anybody noticed. <laughs> people watch the videos yeah. later and be like, oh man, that was a good set. I wish I, wish I was there even though they were there. <laughs> I wish I was there when I took that video. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's one thing. I don't know. I don't know if if it annoys you like it annoys me. Just not even being like, you know, because War Machine doesn't play a lot of shows, but like, like being in the crowd at a show now and it's like everyone's got their hand in there with a fucking phone and they're more concentrating on taking pictures and video and yeah, I get taking a couple pictures or whatever, but you're videoing the whole show. Like, why don't you just watch the show? You know what I mean? Like, and and remember it because... I don't know, like, no. It, and does, do people really go back and watch all this shit they're videotaping all the fucking time? Like, <laughs> I think it's more of a. I think it's a, it's a more of a. I have the ability to capture this moment rather than to live in it. And yeah. everybody's trying to figure out the balance between. Yeah, man, it's really important to capture this moment, but how frequently do you need to capture the moment and how frequently do you need to actually just live in it and, and yeah. enjoy it? And I'm guilty of it myself. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I, I think that, uh, my wife gives me, gives me shit all the time for it. <laughs> uh, but I, I do this. What's ironic is, you know, my father did the exact same thing. Uh, but there was no, you know, phones that were supported by a camera. Yeah. You know, I got to bring out the Nikon every time we do anything. Sure. And, you know, I was like, come on, dad. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. But, um, and but later my, in my life, gone now, but I'm sure you I appreciate it. I wish there were more. I wish there were more pictures. Uh, Nate talks about this all the time. Like, you know, uh, there are no pictures of, of him with his dad. And there are very few actually with me and my dad. And so if I can, if I have the opportunity to take a the picture and, um, I do look at those constantly um, when I'm deployed or when I'm away on work, you know, I look at pictures of my family and my kids because, you know, it kind of eases some of the anxiety associated with being away from the family for a while. But at a show, it, I totally get like, you put, just watch the, sh- watch the show. Cause you're not going to, Hey, remember the 38th minute of their set when uh, they did a ring out note and then the zig- like somebody, you don't care about that. He's yeah. like, just watch the show. Well, Um, and there's two things. One, yeah, take a couple pictures because a picture does capture the moment a lot of times or way better. A picture matched or mated to memory 
captures the moment way better than watching your shitty little camera phone video that you probably were hammered <laughs> and it's all wavy and sh- the audio sucks and it fucking it's all shaky and your fucking drunk ass is like filming like fucking the back of someone's head and you don't even know it take a couple pictures yeah. and live the show or live the experience and then when you go back later you look at the picture the experience comes up from inside you and then you remember it and you're back in it and that's what pictures are for. That's exactly. why they were, you know, that's, that's what they do. Those pictures, those pictures give you a, you know, kind of a high watermark of where you were in that experience. Yeah. Uh, you don't need a 45 minute video of an entire set to do, you know, and if it's a noise set, Christ Jesus, man, you just wasted 45 minutes. Of your life. <laughs> uh, but it, 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 yeah, you're absolutely right. Take a picture. Don't because are you really even enjoying it if you're trying to make sure that you don't get the hell knocked out of you by whoever is in the? Because if it's a good show, I mean, people are going to be moving around. Yeah, and you're not going to you're not going to effectively capture it. Plus, you know, there's probably somebody that's actually shooting the the set for the most part um, that's on the stage and not getting messed with. So just enjoy the show. Like don't you know. Yeah. And then seek out the video, the professional or the better grade video than your than your crowd footage later. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's just probably going to be distracting too, looking into the crowd and you see all these phones and lights and fucking, fucking, just fucking put your fist in the air, throw some beer around, dude. And that's, that's what the band wants. They don't want to see your fucking, the back of your fucking cell phone case. No one wants to see that. No, man. If I, if I, you know, I do acoustic stuff every once in a while, that's pretty much, that's what I expect is, you know, the 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 personification of just having your phone up and not doing anything because that's what acoustic music yields is a bunch of people standing there looking at you and even if they're enjoying it you have no idea because they're going to do the same thing if they hate your guts but <laughs> when noise is playing I would really prefer you know move around and like have fun sing along don't make sure that you're being like you know Eastman Kodak trying to make sure that everything is succinctly done so that you can capture our uh our you know 30 minute beer fueled set yeah 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 man so um what uh you just mentioned that you also do some acoustic stuff what got you into doing that and you know what what kind of stuff are you doing i learned uh how to play guitar because i i wanted to you know i wanted to sing um because i've always loved music and uh i was doing landscaping at a in a rural georgia town when i was 15 years old my dad worked there and i went i got sent to live with my dad for a little bit uh and i bought a guitar uh just to kind of teach myself just for something to do uh but also to teach myself how to you know play some chords and actually be able to accompany myself when i uh when i sang and um it kind of stuck because everything that I've ever written for the most part, I have written on an acoustic guitar because that's, I've learned that if you can write and play on an acoustic, it's way easier to play on an electric guitar because I didn't pick up a bass until, um, the band I was in just before noise. Um, so it's like, you know, a song we have called idle action. Uh, I wrote it on an acoustic guitar um, and what's always cool is writing these songs on an acoustic guitar and then picking up an electric and then showing it to the band and watching it grow legs and just kind of grow beyond anything I thought it could do. Um, but because I have that history with an acoustic and I have a history with music that is not punk 
um, I, I just, I felt like I got stationed in Korea for a year away from my family. And while I was there, uh, I had an acoustic guitar that actually our drummer, Kenny's father gave me, uh, cause my acoustic guitar is a piece of shit. Um, so I used that time to really dial in some of the stuff that I'd been, you know, messing around with for a while. And we did an acoustic project called Stadium Way when I came home. And we recorded four songs um, with Kenny, who's actually a better guitar player than he is a drummer. Um, and uh, our friend Kevin from uh, The Interrupters, uh, who did organ and, and um, keys on that record. But uh, I was really nervous about it because it's not something I've ever recorded or ever done. Um, and, you know, it, it it is what it was. Uh, I was actually super happy with it. I'm glad I did it. Uh, my mom, for sure, was glad that I did it because she hates uh, punk rock, but she <laughs> likes my music. Um, but yeah, man, it's just a different way of expressing some of the stuff that I had going on. Um, and I love, you know, I won't say I love playing acoustic because the shows terrify me and they're not uh, fun the way that playing with noise is because you just play and people sit there and kind of nod their head and you can't, again, you can't tell if they hate your guts or they really like it. Um, so there's not that same, like, you know, intimacy and interaction uh, with, with the crowd. And also it's terrifying because everybody can hear everything you do. Uh, so if you make a mistake, they're going to know. Yeah. Um, and there's but, not like a drunk wildness to it. So there's a little more accountability and, and things can be a little more no, glaring. Yeah. No, it, it is, uh, you know, it's like the SAT test of music. Like <laughs> if you make a mistake, they got like, you know, acoustic music is the scantron that will make sure everything is succinct and in line with what it's supposed to be. Um, but it's just, a, it, you know, there was some stuff I needed to say and I needed to express and that that's the, the venue I chose to do it. And, you know, it turns out, you know, it, it resonated with a lot of people. Uh, you can't tell it when I play it live, but, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a fun thing. I've been doing some live streams, um, recently on Instagram just to kind of, you know, keep people, you know, either, either amused or, you know, uh, they can laugh at me or whatever case may be. But, uh, Pirates Press has been doing, our label has been doing a whole lot of live, live streams from bands that, uh, are doing that in the interest of, you know, kind of keeping people still engaged, uh, with the, the music that, that resonates with them. Uh, which I think is an awesome uh, endeavor. Um, but yeah, man, uh, acoustic music is uh, terrifying. Sure. It's, uh, terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's such a good quote right there. Acoustic, acoustic music is terrifying. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, terrifying to play, I can imagine, man, because there's, there's, there's so much more focus on what's going on. And uh, I've, I know I've gone and seen like Johnny or, or uh, uh, you know, Lenny do some shows that were acoustic. And, you know, I, I get nervous for the motherfuckers when they're going up there. And I'm like, damn, that's got to be some hard shit to fucking do, man, for sure. Yeah. Cause you can hear everything. Yeah. You can hear everything. And, and the, the hope I think as an acoustic artist is like, well, nobody's really listening. To this. They're just trying to order their drink. Um, but yeah, once you establish that, like, Nope, these people are actually looking at me and they're going to hear if you screw something up. Uh, yeah, it's a, you can't blame it on anything. You can't say, well, you know, Jesse flubbed a note or Nate, you know, it, it's just you. 
So yeah. there is no, <laughs> and you can't, can't do the buck when it's you and a microphone, man. Yeah. You know, you can't say fuck it. It's punk rock either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who cares? It's, no, man. It, you, you made the conscious decision to do acoustic music knowing very well that like there's a, there's a certain standard that accompanies that. Even if it's a horrible standard that, you know, means that your music is horrible. Um, you still have to kind of know how to play. Um, so for an amateur musician like myself, that was kind of maybe, maybe it was a dumb move, but you know, whatever that, that record came out pretty well. What, what pushed you to do that? What did you want to say with that record? That's different than the stuff that you, you don't want to say with noise. Uh, so noise, all of noise's stuff is pretty, pretty somber. It's more, um, it's more socially, um, it's more of a social commentary noise is, um, stadium way was a more intimate, I think, uh, micro version of that where, um, there's a, you know, my dad had just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and I wrote a song called shadows and it's about, um, basically mortality and, and how you recognize your own mortality. Um, and what, ha- what happens in the interim while you kind of contemplate your own mortality, how you spend that time. Uh, and that's, you know, pretty much what, uh, what encompasses your lifetime is, is looking at like the end of the line because you recognize when you see somebody that you love start to, you know, die. Um, it really makes you cognizant of your own mortality and being aware of how you spend that time and, and the effect that it has on the people that you love. So I wrote that song and I was like, dude, that's not, that's not really a noise song. Um, uh, noise does have a song about, you know, losing people that you love, but it's not as much of an intimate um, kind of deal. And, that, and that's kind of where I came from with, uh, with stadium way, which is our acoustic uh, deal. And, you know, there, there's social commentary also, but again, it's very intimate and it's very like more how I feel personally uh, vices, you know, how the band feels because Nate and I are pretty much on the same page with most things, but we both have different perspectives. Um, and the message that we typically try and convey with noise is again, it's an objective view of of society, but we do it in a much more aggressive way. Um, whereas stadium way, I just wanted to come at it from a different, from a different perspective where it was more intimate. And I felt like an acoustic, um, variation of that would be a better vehicle uh, for that kind of music vices, you know, trying to make it, you know, forcing it to be punk rock. Sure, man. And and with, with noise, one thing, you know, I did want to follow up with, um, you know, I, are all you guys writing music? Are you, are you primarily writing it or is it, or is it you and Nate or is it the whole band kind of contributing? How, do, how does the process work? And especially now with you being, you know, in a, in, you know, uh, you know, in a, in a different time zone than everybody else. Like how, how does that work? Uh, so I wrote, uh, I write a lot of it. Um, and, Nate writes some of it also. Uh, Jesse has actually written a few uh, noise songs, but the way that it really, I mean, the, the cool thing about the band is like, even if I write a song or Nate writes a song, when we bring it to the band, it becomes almost instantly the band song. Um, because I'll have something in my head as far as like hooks for leads and, you know, you know, drum beats or whatever. And I can bring a song to the table 
and say, hey, this is kind of what I'm messing around with. And Jesse will mess with something and Kenny will mess with something. And I instantly like, yep, that's better than what I had in mind. So just do that. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it, it's really cool in that regard. Jesse uh, runs a studio. Uh, he was our sound engineer before he was our guitar player. Um, so that gives us a lot of, you know, that's a huge asset to have as far as, you know, what we're able to do because the guys can, we can record practice. Um, we can get, you know, once we get a drum track down, Jesse and I can come in and just, you know, do the bass and guitar whenever we want to vocals, whenever we want to. So we're really, really lucky uh, in that respect. Um, Jesse's recorded a lot of, uh, a lot of, so he's recorded cool Keith and he's recorded UK subs. <laughs> okay. um, so, it, yeah, that, that's kind of a, I, I think it's a really good illustration of his diversity as far as a, an engineer. But, um, yeah, we're really blessed in that, in that capacity that we're able to like come in and, you know, Hey, we're thinking about doing this. We can record it really quick. And then if I have to go somewhere for work or whatever, the guys can come in and then and work on it while I'm gone. Sure. Uh, and that's what they've been doing. So the, the songs that Nate has been uh, writing again with the time management, we knew that I was going to have to leave for a year to, to come here to Texas. So all the songs that I'd been kind of fiddling with, we made sure that we got down, uh, you know, really down pat, recorded them. And then we left the, you know, bells and whistles that Jesse would add to, you know, you can do that while I'm gone, while I'm gone, you guys focus on the things that Nate is writing. Um, and that's what they're working on now. So it, again, it's a, the very delicate balance of like time management and the assets you have available. So sure. the fact that Jesse has his own studio, we have the luxury of doing that. Whereas a lot of bands don't. Yeah. Um, and we recognize that and, and it's, we're very lucky. So you do, are you going to be able to do like, I know you have some stuff already recorded, but if they come up with some new stuff and send it to you, do you got a studio out there? You can go put vocal tracks on and then send it back and then they can mix and stuff like that. Yes. So there's a, there's a studio here in El Paso. I'm actually going to, um, head over there in the next couple of weeks and do some guest vocals for uh, another band. But, um, that's kind of the plan is just, you know, sure. getting, getting stuff down. If they accumulate enough stuff, um, man, I would really love to just go back to Tacoma and, uh, hang out with them and do it in our studio. Uh, just so I get to see them cause we were supposed to play punk rock bowling and that was supposed to be our little vacation, yeah, yeah. uh, this year, which is obviously not going to happen. Um, but, yeah, it's just really, it's just a series of problem solving, which is fortunately what I get paid to do uh, in the army is just solve problems. So cool. um, the guys are very adept at that also. So, yeah, man. Um, and that, that was another thing I want to get into if it, and I don't know how much you can talk about it or not, but like what led you into the army and what is it that you, that you, that you actually do? And is it, is that something that's like, is this pretty much a, you know, like your long range career plan? Like you're going to retire from the army or you got other stuff that you kind of got going on? So, yeah, no, I, uh, I joined the army, uh, because I was at pretty much the bottom, uh, of, of my, uh, experience as a human being. I, I sucked as a, uh, as a civilian, uh, had some, some law issues. Um, and you know, I, I reached a point in my life where I, I, I had always thought that I was capable of things. And I always thought that, you know, I, I had something in me that I was able to, to maybe manifest into something that, 
was productive uh, and utilized the things that I thought I was good at to, to, to do something uh, productive. And I didn't do that shit. Uh, what I did instead was get arrested and run around with, you know, dudes that, you know, did stuff that was bad. Um, I won't get into it, but, you know, it basically manifested itself in me getting arrested and me having to make a choice like, hey, got to do something. Um, and you can't do it on your own. Clearly, I didn't have the self-discipline or the wherewithal to actually govern myself like an adult. Um, and uh, I, my dad was in the army. His dad was in the army. And I figured that was my that was my chance. Like, you know, do something like that and uh, see where it took me. And I was going to do three years and get out and go to college. And instead, uh, I've been in for 20 years. Um, and it saved my life, quite frankly. Um, I, I got in and I realized I was good at it and I enjoyed it. Um, it it's definitely not without its challenges, uh, for sure. I've spent a lot of time away from my family, but yeah, man, uh, the, and what I do at this point is I basically, uh, I, I take care of soldiers. Um, you know, my job is basically as a leader, um, is to look at junior soldiers, like guys that are just coming in, you know, kids basically, cause these kids are, you know, 18, 19 years old and, using the things that I went through to resonate with them, to make them better, not just as like a soldier, but as a human being. Uh, so that's, that's, that's kind of the point of doing all of this is to be able to help other people. So, you know, uh, just as a, like as a father, um, I don't want my kids to make any of the mistakes that I've made. Um, I don't want my soldiers to do any of that either, you know, and there are varying degrees of success with that. Because, you know, like me, my dad tried to do the same thing, but I knew more than him all the time uh, until I became an adult. And then I realized I didn't know anything. But, you know, um, being a soldier, you know, gave me a purpose. It, it gave me discipline. It gave me, you know, not in the not in the corny sense of, you know, the the movies that, that people watch and, you know, you know, made me a man or, or whatever that is. But it did give me a sense of pride and a sense of purpose. And I realized that all of the things that I thought that I might be good at, that I actually was, I just needed a vehicle to do that in a, in a manner that was consistent with, you know, um, who I was as a person it just resonated with me. Um, so that's how I got from, you know, a to B and really what I try and do is just use, the tough times that I had and the, the hard experiences that I all, all self-inflicted that, you know, I put on myself, making sure that my kids and making sure that my soldiers don't have to deal with any of that. And again, it's hit or miss. Sure. Uh, Cause if they're like me, they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But you know, every once in a while, you know, you reach somebody and that's a really big, big moment uh, for a leader is to, you know, be able to look at, at somebody that was having a hard time and then you tell them your story and then you give them the means with which to get out of that situation and to be successful and they do it. That's a huge moment for, I think, anybody, uh, sure. whether it's a leader or a father. But yeah, the, the Army gives me the opportunity to do that. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, and then sometimes as a leader, you got to recognize they might not take that lesson now, but somewhere down the road it might resonate. And then, you know, whether you see them or not, you know, they'll they'll take that in and and it it will help them. It just might not they might not be ready for it right now, but something down absolutely. The Same you. thing with being a father, man. You, you take care of your kids whether they want to be taken care of or not. Yeah. So there's a difference between what you want, and what you need. 
Um, and if I recognize that it's in someone's best interest to do something, um, they may not agree with it. You know, uh, Ferris has wanted chocolate cake. All, my daughter has wanted chocolate cake all day, all day long. Because we have chocolate cake. No. Because we have chocolate cake on the top of the refrigerator. And so she's wanted it. But it's not in her best interest to eat chocolate cake all day. So I've been the bad guy for the better part of the day. You know, the, 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 the bigger picture of that is, you know, as a leader, people aren't going to understand what is best for them in the context of, you know, a vocation, right? But, you know, in, in your job, you've been doing it a while. Somebody comes in and they're new, they may not understand exactly what, you know, equates to, to being good at that job or what you need to do to be proficient at that job because what the steps in between may not be very palatable, you know, um, doing a whole lot of, you know, physical training, um, doesn't resonate with a whole lot of people. Not a whole lot of people want to do that. They don't want to sweat. They don't want to, you know, be uncomfortable, but if putting them in that position makes them better at what they do, then that's your job. So you may not be popular, but you'll be a good leader. And you know, that, that's kind of, that's kind of what it is. Taking care of people, whether they want to be taken care of or not. Yeah. Yeah. And half of you, sometimes when people don't want to do that shit, you must be like, dude, this is what you signed up for motherfucker. You're not, you're not, you're not, <laughs> you're not in the fucking, you, you know what I mean? You're in the fucking army, dude. You're not in the fucking, you know, whatever, you know, like <laughs> this is what you signed up for. <laughs> You'd be surprised. But again, man, as a leader, like you can't, uh, you can't negate somebody's experience based on because my job is to make you the best soldier that you can possibly be right um yes sir. i will turn the water um your job is to, to get that out of them right yeah. they're not initially going to be like yeah i'm good at all this stuff maybe a few of them will be but there are some of them like myself that didn't know that they were good at that until somebody you know used a forcing function to get that out of them so like yeah your natural instinct and it has been many times for me is like dude you you know this is the army right like you know you your recruiter told you that you'd have to like you know wear uniforms and jump around and run and stuff shoot guns um but if you do that if you try and negate them that their experience because of your own, you're going to lose resonance with them, especially with like millennials being in the army. Um, and I don't use that term as like derogatory. That's just where we're at. That's, yeah. that's the generation that's coming in. If you immediate, no matter how hardcore you are, no matter how, you know, much shit you've been through, if you start off with that, like, you know what I've been through, I've been through X, Y, and Z, and I've been through Afghanistan, Iraq, they don't care. Like that doesn't, they, their perspective is still the same. So if you start off with that and say, Hey, your, your perspective is completely bullshit because of everything that I've gone through. Well, you've just made your, they're going to say, okay, boomer and turn you off and keep doing exactly what they're doing. Cause that would have quantified the fact that you don't resonate with them and you're out of touch and you know, they may be completely wrong and they are. But at the same time, your job as a leader is to facilitate the best performance out of them. You can't do that if if you immediately remove yourself from any sort of resonance with with your audience. And in this 
context, it would be your, your soldiers or your, you know, employees or whatever. But like this whole thing with like millennials being entitled and everything else, you know what, that, that may be, and that may be your perspective, but bottom line is they're going to be changing our diapers when we're at the old folks home, if we're lucky enough to get there. So we probably ought to teach them some shit. Yeah. It, you know, dude, I, 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 uh, I get it too. And like, I have, um, we have a, a, a shop hand here, um, apprentice and he's, he's 17. He's in high school his senior year and he's actually going to be going into the air force. And it's like, I'm so stoked that there's actually a young dude into like, like motorcycles and you know what I mean? And, and, and like choppers and custom bikes and stuff. And he's been, he comes in and helps whenever he can, but he's still in school and working and whatnot, but you don't see it as much. Like I, I, you know, and I'm not going to get, you know, it's not, getting into like all these fucking kids blah 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 but it, it is seems like i i i can kind of uh, see what you have to work with man because it, it is a different world and like it seems like the generation of people that are in there like whatever like teens and early 20s now is like vastly different from like um w- from when i was a kid but you know our parents said the same thing so is that just the natural order of things and and, and you know where's it going you know it's just a bizarre bizarre thing man Without exception, it's the progression of society. So every, literally every generation, like you think of your grandparents and how squared away they were. Like I see, I don't know that my grandfather ever didn't wear slacks. I, I feel like maybe he, like right out of the hospital, they're like, hey, here's your kid's slacks and he has to wear these for the rest of his <laughs> life. I've never seen the man, like, you know, he died in 2013. I've never seen him not wear slacks and a collared shirt, button, like, I guarantee you his grandfather who fought in the civil war was like these kids, yeah. you know, they're out here, not, you know, whatever. With whatever jazz music. <laughs> yeah. Listen to, listen to crazy jazz music. <laughs> exactly. So the, 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 the 20s generation. I and mean, that was just, that was so far fetched for the generation prior to that. Yeah. It was, you know, these kids are drinking and dancing and enjoying music and trying to have fun. Uh, with their life instead of, you know, just start dying as soon as they're 18 years old. Like, yeah. it, you know, my dad talked about how, you know, the drill sergeants were, you know, he was in the Vietnam era and they were like, this, this is so easy. When I went through basic training, it was way harder. I went to airborne school in uh, 2000. My grandfather went in 1940, just before Normandy, he jumped into Normandy. But, uh, I, I think that airborne school, when he went through, was a little bit harder than how it was when I went through. And yeah. There's a show called Band of Brothers that kind of encapsulates that. But the point is, like, every generation is, you know, softer than the generation before. And if you – it's cool to joke about that because it is funny. But they all uh, live longer, like, you know what I mean? Like, the, the new generation yeah, seems to live but, longer. <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, man, we have to, we have to embrace – the fact that these this generation is different than we are and learn how to speak to them to take care of them because they're going to be the parents of our grandchildren. Yeah. So how, regardless of how we feel about this generation, we have to find a way to speak to them in a language that resonates with them and get them to understand. Because if you come at them with the grandpa and my day, we yeah. have hot food. They don't, they don't give a shit about that. So yeah. you're immediately going to negate anything that you have to say. So, you know, as a, as a leader in the army and as a father, my son talks to me about Fortnite. I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, I could chalk it up to like, you know, that's 
you know, my in my, my day, we had Super Mario and we were happy. Yeah, that's cool, but he didn't care about that. So your ability to like converse and, and communicate with like, you know, people that are outside of your, you know, area of comfortability as far as like, you know, being an adult. Uh, and a lot of times I sound exactly like my dad. And that's usually when I'm like, oh, I probably <laughs> had to pull it back. But yeah, man, like it's, it's easy to make fun of millennials and be like, you know, they're soft and you know, entitled and they, you know, glued to their phones all the time. But there were equal complaints that our parents had with our generation. Like it was video games were violent and music was violent yeah. and making us kill people. And, you know, so I, I think your ability to like kind of balance that, that whole like, yeah, it is funny. And you guys do, you guys are entitled, but at the same time, I need you to, I need you to run the old folks home that I'll be in in yep. a, a few decades. So yes. I'm going to yeah. teach you some stuff in a, in a manner that you can actually figure this out. Yeah. Now I, I, uh, someone was saying this today and it, and I don't know, cause we were talking about like, you know, I have, uh, uh Adam here and he's, he's going to be going into the air force and they were saying, someone was saying, and I don't know if this is true or not, but this would sum up the whole millennial thing. And is that, is there like a thing like, a, like a yellow card or something now in basic training where you could take like a mental health day. Is that true? Or is that just bullshit? So I don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Okay. Uh, at this point, because I have not been dialed into basic training for a while. Yeah. Uh, and I can't speak to, to any measures that they have in place. Um, I, and it's, it's taken everything I have to be like in my day. Yeah, no, um, I know. I know. But, I know. It's it. But this again, is a this is a safe place to do the in my day. I don't know if I have many millennial listeners, so we're not, we're not going to alienate. <laughs> no, man, I, you know, you're not going to alienate anybody here. <laughs> no, it's not even that. I just I don't, don't want to speak out of turn. Sure, I, no, I, I get that, it. Uh, I think, oh gosh, there are definitely measures that are put in place to facilitate a new generation going through basic training, and I can't speak to any Air yep. Force stuff whatsoever because i have no um no experience with that but it i think that it is easier now than it was for me but i say that in the context where you know my perspective was my perspective and i say like you know if i knew then what i know now everything's easier now than it was when i was a kid because i know more now uh i know how to navigate that better um so like it's 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 silly for me to like kind of <laughs> yeah no no I was just wondering say, yeah I, I think I think there may be something that where they can kind of take a timeout but I, I again I can't I can't speak to that yeah um I I can I can say definitively I wish they had it when I was around however I wouldn't have used it because I was my drill sergeant was my idol yeah um, he was an old eighty second airborne division dude found out very quickly that I was going to the 82nd airborne division after airborne school. And I became his protege slash. If you screw this up, I'll kill you. Yeah. 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 Uh, dude. So yeah. he's like my basic training father. Yeah. It wasn't uh, a position so of privilege. It was just a position of more accountability for you probably. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like I, I went through a gas chamber with strep throat cause I was scared to tell anybody that I had strep throat. Um, not because, I was scared there would be a reprisal. I just didn't want to disappoint yeah. my drill sergeant. Um, I don't know if you've ever been through a, a gas chamber, but it sucks. 
and doing it with strep throat sucks way more. Yeah, I can uh, imagine. And then I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to, you know, piss my drill starts off. And I also didn't want to, you know, go to sick hall and be like put on quarters, which is our version of like, you have to stay home for a few days. I didn't want to do that because I was scared that I wouldn't get to graduate with my class. Um, so for decades, I have been towing the line between hard and stupid. Um, and with, with, with different degrees of, of success. A lot of times it's more the, the stupid, uh, <laughs> than the hard. Yeah. You know, the, the only thing that I, well, not the only thing, but, and this isn't to get a, this we can, you know, after this we can get on, uh, to whatever else, but the, the only thing I worry about with the younger generation is the lack of like wanderlust and like exploration and like adventure. Like, and I say that in that from what I see, even like, you you know, it's just, it seems like people are more tied in digitally than they are into just going out and seeing the world and doing things. Like I remember when I was like, you know, and I know it was different times and I'm not doing the, when I was a kid, but I remember, you know, you know, when I was a kid, kid, we'd ride our bicycles everywhere and just whatever, you know yeah. what I mean? And go, go in the woods all fucking day or ride around the city all day, get into shit, fucking just be home when you're supposed to be home. Your parents, no one was over your back and watching you 24 hours a day. You couldn't be yeah. reach, reached 24 hours a day. There were big chunks of time where you were just out and you came home when you were supposed to come home and yeah, no one knew where be. you were and whatever. And even, you know, getting into being like 15, 16, sneaking out, like taking the bus to New York City to go to fucking punk shows at, at, at CB's and sleeping in the Port Authority in New York City, like in the 80s and the late 80s and, you know, whatever. And it just seems like some of that is lost because people are connected more digitally than they are in real life. And that's the only thing like that I have, like, that's probably like my biggest concern is that like, I hope people don't lose a sense of adventure because, you know, some of the shit you go through is like the shittiest times. And later it becomes the funnest times. You have the fondest memories of like, yeah, dude, remember we slept in that fucking the port authority and they found a head in the yeah. fucking locker. You know what I mean? Like crazy shit like that. Like, you know what I mean? Sucked at the time, you know, or, like you, you're almost going to get rolled, but you only have $2 on you. So no one's going to fucking you know, jump you anyway. But you know, just crazy shit like that you know and it's just like um you know like i hope that doesn't ever get lost because that's to me is a basic human thing dude like you know what i mean like you know and obviously some people will always have it but just the way society is going as a whole i hope it doesn't like like i don't know squelch that for for a significant number of people because it seems like it kind of is and and you know they get everyone scared you know like i i just imagine you know when we were kids, we'd ride our bikes to elementary school and, you know, it was, it was miles away. Like you, you know, child services would be called now if you saw a kid, you know, and like, you know, in fourth grade riding a bicycle around, you know, it's just by themselves or with like a couple of friends. Like it just seems, you know, the world's a lot different. Some things are way better. Some things are worse now. Like, and it's just, I hope that sense of like adventure and just getting out and being in the world is, doesn't get fucking lost. Like, Cause I feel like a lot will get lost with that, you know? I don't know. That's just. I, I think your I think your last statement, like, completely encapsulated that that whole that whole statement, which is that you know there are some things are better and some things are worse. Um, we used to have charcoal fights, man. We would go and steal charcoal off of people's back decks. Yeah. In my neighborhood in the summer, and we would throw it at each other. Yeah. And that was totally normal. And the reason we did it was because you could tell if you got hit because if we used other stuff like pine cones. Yeah, you wouldn't uh, know. You could argue, 
Like, yeah. no, you didn't hit me. Well, if you hit in the face with charcoal, I can tell. So we did that. We built bike ramps into the woods. There's no place to land. You just drove your bike as fast as you could. You went off a ramp and you went into the woods. Yeah. And you weren't uh, wearing, you tree. weren't wearing like a padded jumpsuit when you did it either, you know? No, you weren't wearing <laughs> You just weren't, we didn't know what that was. Yeah. Um, Oh, you'd get so, severely like, made fun of if you showed up with knee pads, elbow pads, and a helmet. People would be, what oh, the man. fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, we'd be like, where'd you get, where, where'd you even get something like that? Yeah. What is, like, what, but, yeah, it's like, and the to your point, uh, going through things that are shitty brings people much closer together, and you can't do that on the internet. Nope. You can't. Um, and again, there's that balance between, you know, saying, you know, in my day and then recognizing the fact that it just, it is a different time and that part of it sucks. Yeah. And that's why the army experience is like, so, and, you know, this isn't a plug for the army in any way, shape or form, because you don't have to be in the army to do this, but like going through shitty things with your friends brings you exponentially closer and it forms a bond that you can't replicate with anything else. Absolutely. Least of which you know, a Facebook chat group or whatever it is, Yep. you know, sleeping outside in the rain, you know, being up for days at a time, like you, you never forget that thing. Things that I've gone through with, you know, my brothers in the military, and, you know, my brothers in the scene, we'll never forget it. Um, and it, it's, it's brought us exponentially closer because it will always give us, no matter what disagreements we may have, that give us a, that gives us a point of, you know, resonance that, that's somewhere we can always come back to. Like we may disagree on whatever's going on politically or, you know, socially or whatever. But remember that time we stayed out for like three days because we didn't have a place to sleep. And then yeah, <laughs> like remember that time we got in a fight and we got the shit beat out of us and then we didn't have a place to sleep. So we had to figure out where we're going to like it, it, going through those sort of things can't be replicated by the internet. And I, I do think to a large degree, that's something that uh, the next generation is really going to have to figure out how to deal with. And it's not you or I, it's going to have to figure out for them. It's, it's them. Yeah. Um, and I, I think time will really tell whether or not they're able to establish those relationships or, or whatever. Yep. Um, but the scene was always great because like every show you went to, there was a story. There was oh, yeah. stuff that went on. There was a story just um, getting to the show half the time or, <laughs> oh, yeah. or the shenanigans yeah. in the parking lot afterwards or whatever, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it always was. It, it, I remember going to a show in, uh, I can't remember what the show was. It was orange nine millimeter in 1997. I don't know why we went to that show. We saw orange nine millimeter. I can't remember who else. And my buddy was like, Hey, you want to go see the show? And we live like 45 minutes away. And we went, and uh, at the end of the show, he was like, "Dude, I don't even gas. I don't even way to get. We don't even way to get home. Like, what? Why would you not bring that up at the beginning? I have any money, so oh, yeah, we yeah. had to panhandle for money to get gas to get back uh, back to where we were going." Dude, I've been there, dude. We, I remember with uh, we were with our friend Spencer, and he had this big fucking car, you know, probably got four miles to the gallon. And I remember we'd stop in parking lots and, like, comb the parking lot, just looking for change, like, if we couldn't find anyone to, 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 to kind of put money off of or whatever to get home. And it, just looking for change, we could put, like, 38 cents into the fucking tank and ho hopefully make it another yeah, half a mile. Then, was, <laughs> dude, if you got 97 cents back then, you're good. Yeah. A gallon of gas. 
Oh, yeah. For me, that's like four miles. I can't yeah. remember when my son Courtney had babies, but it, <laughs> yeah, it just, you know, being able to go through th- those experiences with your friends. And I think that's why the scene is so important because I think it gives the, the people a vehicle to, yeah. to interact with each other, which is now being profoundly tested by the COVID-19 situation. And people are trying to figure out how to maintain those relationships and everything else while, you know, uh, going through this, this whole ordeal. Sure. But, you know, things like, you know, the army, the military or, you know, the scene, uh, I, 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 I draw a lot of parallels between the two, the same way I draw a lot of parallels between punk rock and hip hop. Sure. Um, the army and, you know, when you tour with a band, uh, you get to know them intimately. Um, and you spend every waking moment with each other. So, and you, and you have to learn how to either, you know, you become absolute brothers or just doesn't work out. Can't do it. Yep. Um, and fortunately in my case, you know, every time that I travel with, with the guys in noise, it's just, makes us closer. You know, we, we have our, our disagreements and whatever, but ultimately it's very much the same way that, you know, brothers and sisters fight. Sure. Um, you get know. four dudes in a van, like something, someone's going to aggravate something or, you know, whatever, but you, you get through it and it, it, you know, you laugh about it later. <laughs> yeah. No, I love you to death. But you're pissing me off and you shut up. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, we, we disagree just like everybody else, but I, I'd say at the end of the day, you know, we never go away mad. Um, and it's, it's just been a remarkably positive experience. And everything that we've gone through has made ourselves closer. But like, you know, w- w- what you're saying is entirely true. Um, you can't, you know, yeah, we're friends on Facebook. Cool. That, you know, w- what do you know about that person? Yeah. Yep. Other, than, other than what they've liked and what they've made a laugh emoji from. Yep. Um, and again, that's, that's the balance, man. It's trying to, trying to impart to a kid like, Hey, you really haven't had the same experiences that I've had. Uh, and this is why, and this is, but you're still able to do it. You can get out there and, you know, wanderlust that you're talking about going out and doing stuff, you know, working in a, in a chopper shop and actually like doing something, um, tangible rather than experiencing it online. You know, how do you, how do you help somebody that you care about? That's a young person that hasn't had that experience. Because if you start off with, you know, in my day, we panhandled yeah, for yeah. change. I started Kroger parking lot, getting, hoping somebody would buy us beer so we could go on the show. Yeah. No, you and, almost got to be like care. a salesman and be like, dude, you guys should do this. It would be the funnest thing you did or something, you know, whatever, you know. And, yeah. No. If you, re- I mean, it just depends, though. I mean, do you really care about perpetuating the experience of that younger generation so they, they can keep that going? And I think in the interest of, or the context of the scene, that's very important. Yeah. Because we want this stuff to, to keep going, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not gonna if if we can't impart to, you know, other kids um that it's valuable and it it's worth doing and it's worth kinda being uncomfortable for a little yeah. bit for. And and, um, and and at the same time, yeah, do your own thing with it, but here are like some core principles that this stuff is founded on and just keep it's important to keep that going, but obviously you're gonna do your own thing thing with it as well you know like there's yeah. a lot of bands now like that will draw you know two thousand kids to a show and i don't even know who the fucking band is and i and i'm just like all right and then <laughs> and then like a fucking you know 
pioneer band will play and and you don't see any of those kids but you know it you know that is what it is there's like different scenes and it's it's still like a weird thing to wrestle with that punk rock has like a fucking 40 year history at this point you know versus when i was a kid there was only uh, you know this is a point we've talked about a couple times on the show that, that you know there was only like four or five years ahead of me you know now there's like 40 fucking years of 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 stuff so if a kid gets into it now there's you know there's there's punk rock that is literally fucking classic rock you know what I mean? Or oldies yeah. or oldies to them, you know, like, you know, like a sex pistols record is like, you know, when we were kids listening to fucking Elvis or, or, or something before that, you know what I mean? Like, and, and it's, it's fucking insane to think that. And it's beautiful that it's still here and that it's emerged and changed and, 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 and gone different ways. And, but it's cool that fundamentally it's still there, you know, and there's still, there's still, um, a calling and, and, and calling for it. And, uh, and to me, that's the biggest justification in what we did when we were kids. Like, you know, it's like, Hey, this is still here. If it, if it wasn't needed, it wouldn't be. And that there's no, still a lot of people that are in it that from when we were kids and like, if this wasn't important, dudes wouldn't still be doing it. You know, when I say dudes, I just mean dudes and gals, you know, don't, yeah, no, you no. know, <laughs> but you know, so, you know, that, that's something that, you know, I love about this stuff, you know? No, it, it's uh, for every year that goes by. I mean, there's a people are putting their different their own spin on this music, and they should. Yeah. Um, but that's just created more and more avenues and more genres, and I think there's a propensity for people to really, for whatever reason, especially in the punk scene, they really need to categorize. Yeah. What kind of punk this is? Yeah. What, what like in if if your assertion of what kind of punk this is is different than your buddies, you can't argue about it. Yeah. And in an argument like that, everyone is wrong because it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Um, like, like my band, like we just, we wrote music. Yeah. Right. And it came out how it came out and we made a conscious decision very early on. Like, Hey man, if this doesn't sound like traditional oi or whatever, we're just going to write it the way that we write it and put it out. And if people like it, cool. If they don't like it, cool. We're not trying to be like anything. I think to do the adverse would actually be trying to do something that you're not. Yeah. You're just um, doing what you're doing. Yeah. And if, again, like this is a song I wrote, I don't know what it sounds like, you know, it, but I'm not going to not show it to the guys because it doesn't sound like a particular way that, we're supposed to sound. Um, I I actually think doing that is kind of adverse to the whole um, idea of of punk rock, honestly, at its core. Sure. Um, But there are all these different subgenres and there are people that embrace that label and there are people that don't. And, but I I think ultimately, you know, hardcore, especially because like there's, you know, 20 different kinds of hardcore, depending on who you talk to and what is hardcore and, you know, it, who cares? Yeah. You know, it, it, if you like it, you like it. Um, in punk, oi, street punk, you know, psychobilly, horror, like there's, yeah, there's a million, you know, all this stuff because I, I think, you know, categorically people really like to like, you know, compartmentalize what it is they're listening to. Like, and I almost think that it like maybe gives them, uh, a talking point with their friends. Well, I'm into this music and this music and this music. And then they gauge whether or not that person knows what they're talking about based on that reaction. Like, okay, you're cool. Cause you know, this sub 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 genre of yeah. punk rock. And, um, it only gets annoying. Yeah. 
it, and it only gets annoying when it gets so fucking micro fucking whatever and it becomes elitist. Like, oh, I only listen to, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah, D-beat from this fucking I, era in this this region of the world. And I only listen to Swedish D-beat from 1994. Yeah. And it's like, all right, dude, good for you, bud. I listen to all kinds of shit. That's why when you listen to like the War Machine record, it's a fucking mess. It's all over the fucking place. It's like, is it, I, what yeah. are you? Who knows fucking, but it's shit we like. And, and that's like, you know, for you guys too, like that's why you can have a 10 year recording career because you're not pigeonholing yourself into one thing. Like you can expand and kind of, and play with things and, and do what you want with it. And, and I think people um, appreciate like, that. There's just too much. There's just too much out there to, like you said, pigeonhole yourself into. Well, because the greatest day of my life, man, was, was the day that I figured out that. I mean, it wasn't the greatest day of my life because I have two kids and a wife. So, like four, fourth or fifth. The, the greatest ray of uh, of your musical life. <laughs> exactly is when I discovered that I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about me in my musical taste in that context. Right. I, I don't, you know, I don't care what makes me like, if I like this band, I like this band. And the, the, the reward that I get from listening to that music and the resonance it has with me and what it has gotten me through, especially some of the things that I've been through. If, if music uh, speaks to me and I enjoy it and it gets me through something hard, I don't give a shit if it now takes me outside of whatever lens you think encompasses punk or whatever. Like, I, I don't, I don't care about that. It was yeah. pretty early on. But I was like, dude, if, if I listen to this band and you think it's lame or you think it's poser music or whatever, cause that was a big thing when I was a kid, I, I, I don't really care, man. Like I, I would rather, I would rather be able to explore different avenues of music and get all of that reward and all of the benefits that listening to different kinds of music get me than for you to think that I'm cool. Cause yeah, who I'm cares? probably not going to talk to you like yeah. next year. <laughs> yeah. So why am I trying to be something that I'm not? And that's the real, you know, hypocrisy of that line of thinking. And you know, you're intentionally, Go ahead. No, no, no. I wasn't. I did, yeah, I just meant too. It's like no one got into punk rock because it was cool. I mean, maybe now, but when when we were young, like you didn't get into it because it was fucking cool. Like you know what I mean? And that oh, was no. the point. No, and, and you know, to to divide such a small group of of people that listened to that were held together by this this music, yep. like you know. This, this 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 all means so much to us. So you know, we have this common bond. Like back, you know, when I was a kid, if somebody listened to punk, they listened to punk. That was my friend because they yep. listened to punk rock. They listened to things that was so rare. Yeah, yeah. So like, hey, we have this bond now. Yep. I can't even imagine that person being like, well, hang on, what kind of punk do you listen to? Do you listen to this band and this band and this band? Because if not, we can't be friends. No. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. Man. Like it, that, that's. It's unfathomable, but like, you know, now because of the advent of the internet, which is amazing because you have all these bands that you can listen to that, like, can you imagine like when we were kids, you know, Hey, have you ever heard of this band? Here they are. You can listen to them right now. Yeah. I you know. can download all their music. Yeah. You don't have to hunt down a seven inch. <laughs> and if you like this band, it, it's like, it's comparable to like when we were kids and I used to go to uh, criminal records in Atlanta, we would get the we would get the compilations 
yeah. and look at the, you know, who the artists were and which songs we liked. And that would be the basis for what we, you know, what we bought. Yep. And sometimes it was a horrible decision, but can you imagine being able to be like, well, wait, let me see if I literally like this band. Yeah. We used to do that with like, the, do that the thanks list down, you know what I mean? That you, oh, who do they think? All right, look, look for those bands. But then, but now the, the beauty of the internet is like, if you go on Spotify and there's an artist you like, they, they go, Hey, you might like this too. And you know, pretty regularly I find new shit that I actually like because of that. Cause it's got suggested to me and I'm like, well, fuck yeah. I mean, some of these algorithms, yeah, some of these algorithms are a little creepy, but you know, Hey, in that aspect, I'm cool with that. You know what I mean? That works, you know, but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's an interesting animal, especially the, the algorithms. Like, you know, when I, uh, when I text choke about some Nikes that I'm thinking about buying, cause I know he really likes them. And then my Facebook feed is filled with, similar nike shoes that's, oh. that's kind of weird but or, or it, if you talk to somebody it, about so i bet right now we both have nike fucking ads in our instagram feeds or somewhere right now because you because you just yep. said it out loud <laughs> yeah it, 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 it's really weird but like the the, the point of all of that is the fact that like i think that you know younger people don't they've always had that they, yeah. they've grown up in a, in a world where they have, you know, instant gratification and instant information. And, you know, I want to hear a band, so I'm going to listen to them right now. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. But I think it takes away some of the, the context and perspective that we have where it's like, it didn't always used to be that way, man. You had to really work to get to a show and see, and see yeah. a band. Uh, get a record. Cause we didn't have any money. So you had to, you know, you go to a show, you got to figure out, do you want a shirt or do you want a record? Yep. Um, or you're not going to get either. <laughs> yeah. And I, I firmly believe that you appreciate shit you worked for more than things that were just given to you. You, you can, you're more apt to oh, take cool. things that were just given to you for granted. And, and that can be in any capacity. I get worried about like, if this is like the, you know, the stuff, you know, like, you know, that we feel is lost with them. What's going to be the shit that they look at when it, when they have grandkids or kids and be like, man, when we were in, in 2020, when we were kids, we, you know, we had to do this. And now you guys just got that. Like, what's the next shit going to be? That's like, we're going to be like it's so fucking out of touch with password. Yeah, dude. Like it's just going to be all brain implants and shit. And you don't even got to go anywhere. You just yeah, think about they, it. They, all. They, I had to, you know, I, you know, I used to have a, a phone that I had to look at. Yeah. And shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, again, that's that's why it's really. There's a reason that we teach history, yeah. right? And it doesn't resonate with everybody. Uh, a lot of people think it's boring as shit. I've always been a huge, huge history fan. My father was the same way. But there's a reason that we teach it, and not just because we kind of have an understanding of like our country, but we understand where we came from in the context of like what these people went through. If you're looking at history, you know. I think correctly. I think there's a perspective where it's like, yeah, man, maybe what we're going through isn't so bad. Yeah. Uh, this is a perfect example. The, the COVID-19 deal. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I think that the scene is, is very much the same way. I think it's important to, again, impart to these, these kids like, Hey, this is how it used to be. You know, you don't have to be that way, but it's under, it's important for you to understand because it gives you a little bit of a perspective of like how easy it is for you to do what it is that you're doing. You know, you don't have to drive or figure out how to get 45 minutes away to a record store and then thumb through stuff and figure out what you can afford and then look at the back and see if maybe one of those bands is 
better than the one that you're yeah. picking up because you only have enough money to get one thing. And now there's four records potentially that you want. You don't have to worry about that. Now I can just listen to all four of them on YouTube or Spotify or whatever. And I'm good. Yep. Um, but again, I, I think the real question is how, how do you convey that? Like, how do you articulate it so that what, what it is that we've experienced doesn't kind of, you know, go away when we go away. Yep. Yeah, man, that's important shit, dude. And that's heavy shit. And it, it's nothing to be taken lightly. It's something that people really got to think about, you know, because what we leave now is, you know, that's, what's going to be, you know, like that's what people are going to reference in the future, you know? And so, uh, it's important to, to make, to be cognizant of what you're doing and, and, uh, the imprint that you're leaving, you know? Yeah. Without question. Without question. Hey, just a quick question. Like not to, uh, being someone that was into punk or is into punk rock and stuff. And then there's also a career in the military. Has that ever been at odds with each other? And do you get shit from that from like anybody like, Oh, I can see yeah. for, for some reason I can see, especially like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not calling out Europeans and stuff, but I can see for some reason, like some Europeans be like, <laughs> how can you be in a punk band when you're in the soldier in the, the, uh, the oppressive uh, Imperial army or whatever, you know, I'm <laughs> just fucking, <laughs> That is exactly what has happened on multiple occasions. Uh, I've been called um, an imperialist bullet sponge. I've been called, uh, God, I, I can't, I, somebody called me a baby killer, which I thought was pretty retro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you know, I can, I can definitely see um, from the outside looking in, you know, if you have no cognizance, of, especially if your perspective is super limited, how you could, think that I'm just part of this like you know imperialist machine and I'm part of the system and you know dude you work at Burger King tell yeah. me how you're not part of the corporate yeah. the corporate machine yep. but you know jokes aside so I joined the army uh, because it was a personal choice that I made because I wanted to better myself I didn't do it in the context of like now I'm going to support the global government machine and be part of like I didn't that, that wasn't even ever something that crossed my mind. I love this country very much. I love the people in it. Um, you know, and I come from a military family. When I joined and when I started to serve, I understood that the reason that we continue to serve is because we love the people to our left and our right. Um, we love the people that we serve with and we want to keep them safe. We want to keep them protected. Um, and no matter what the government is doing, we still have an obligation to the people that we serve with. We still have an obligation to, to put food on our family's table. So that's why we do it. Um, being a soldier doesn't mean that you automatically agree with everything that the government does. We're allowed to have our own thoughts and our own opinions. That's a very common misconception. And it's very easy to like kind of make that into some sort, sort of like cartoonish uh, parody. Like, you know, you're in a punk band, but you're in, in the army. And how can you do both? Um I would argue, how can you be in a punk band and have worked at McDonald's before? Yeah. Um, yeah. A Walmart you know, or whatever, it, whatever corporate it, machine. Yeah. If we're judging, if we're judging things like, you know, if, um, you know, I did a, I did a podcast with the hard times guys and they made a very good, a very good point. Like if, if you live in, if you live someplace and they start building a high rise across the street from you, which actually happened to, to us in Tacoma, uh, and it blocks your view and it, you know, just 
completely, you know, just people coming and going all the time and it's inconvenient for you and you don't like it. You don't blame the construction worker. You know, the construction worker is responsible for being like, you know what? This is what we're going to do. Construction worker is saying, this is my job. This is my obligation. Yeah. Occasionally, I'm going to do what I have to do. Yeah. I'm just here to lay brick. Um, it may not, <laughs> yeah, man, it's not, maybe not be congruent, you know, w- w- with what you think should happen. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I, I've gotten a lot of shit for it, uh, especially yeah. in Europe, uh, Greece. Um, yeah. and, and sadly, like even in, you know, even in our hometown, you know, there's some, some people that really don't like uh, my band because of what I did. And, I, and I've had that conversation with, with my band before, like, you know, cause I felt obligated to apologize um, because the band was getting shit for a choice that I made when I was yeah. a kid. Um, and, you know, their response was, you know, uh, pretty expected, which was just don't ever apologize for that. Yeah. No, you know, you, you don't apologize for who you are, or what you do ever. So we, we knew, going into this what you did um and you know of, of course they're trying to express things i think that's the real challenge is trying to express things uh about society and, and what's going on in our country and um uh, everything else while maintaining uh professional bearing and sure. not not going outside the boundaries of, of what i'm permitted uh to do publicly because I, I speak for me, I don't speak for United States soldier uh, when I yeah. when I sing for noise, but I, I make it a point uh, for a couple of reasons to maintain objectivity. One, because I don't want to be a whiny band that tells you everything I think is wrong and what you should think. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't think the same way I do, you're wrong. That's why I hate Annie Flag. Um, it, it, I, I try and hey, here's here's what's going on. Here's how I see it. Um, this isn't a position one way or the other. This is just kind of what's going on. What yeah, do you guys think about You're this? just reporting on what you see or, or talking about or, or analyzing what you see. You're not forcing like, and if you don't think this way, you're wrong or you're, you're this or that. It's, I get it. That's, I feel like I've always resonated more with, with bands that, that are like that versus someone who's like preachy and, and, you know, in between the songs, they're going to chastise people for not agreeing with them oh, or thinking with it. Dude, like that's the opposite of fucking punk rock. And just before I forget this, like, you know, people have that perspective, like, why are you doing this? Like, I feel like if there needs to be soldiers, I want more punk rock kids or hardcore kids or people that can think for themselves to be in that position. I hope you get to a position of, of, of power and, and prominence in the military so that you can help guide and direct things the right way. I feel the same way about cops. If there's got to be fucking cops, I'd rather have like a punk rock motherfucker that thinks for himself and is going to be cool and is not going to just be a fucking a robot to the state. And and I want that p- kind of person in that position because, you know, like to change things from the inside or, or, you know, that's a very simplistic view. But it's I'd rather, you know, have that kind of person uh, being in one of those positions and than just some fucking tool for the state or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. That's just the way of thinking of it if, to me, you know, no, it's a- you make a great point and you know, there's a misnomer with the army, you know, you know, they want robots. No, man, we don't, we want critical thinkers. Yeah. We want people that are able to, 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 you know, exude, um, a bearing and, and problem solving and be able to, to do what it is that they do. And, and I think it's really funny. Like we talk about how the media, um, you know, isn't portraying the truth. So somebody that's, you know, subscribing to some sort of, 
inane uh, conspiracy theory, right, is, and has never even been close to any sort of military um, existence or, uh, you know, anything of that nature. But they're going to tell me that here's what soldiers represent and here's what they do. Yeah. Uh, and that's happened on a few instances. Well, dude, don't you think it's different? Don't you think it's weird that you're perfectly willing to accept a conspiracy theory from YouTube, but at the same time, you're, you've decided that the image that has been betrayed or that you perceive of people that are in the military, it's accurate. It's been portrayed accurately because that's, that's the one that's, that one is accurate, but you know, 9-11 was inside job, uh, you know, vaccines turning into robot. Um, like I just think there's a, there's a substantial amount of hypocrisy that exists with, um, people in a lot of instances. And I understand, I understand why, you know, they, they don't understand, um, our existence or, or what it is that we represent or, or whatever. But it, honestly, man, I, I'm a working class dude that, you know, I, I take care of soldiers and I take care of my family. That's my job. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not a, a wheel in the, the corporate machine yeah, or yeah, whatever. The, um, the military but, industrial complex. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, 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 it's such a, it's such a ridiculous assertion anyway, because the, the army is the most, it's the most socioeconomic, you know, ethnically diverse organization on the planet, you will not find a more diverse organization. I mean, people from all walks of life, every ethnicity, you know, country, uh, religious background, um, geographic background, economic background, everybody is represented in the army. So to assert that, like, you guys all, you know, think the same, you all vote the same, you all, you know, it's, it's one of the most incredibly naive assertions that you could possibly like yeah. put forth because it, we come from all walks of life. We represent everyone. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's very simplistic to try and sum us up based on, a, you know, Arlie Ermery movie that you saw 15 years ago. Hmm. Um, and obviously he's a Marine, but you know, I'm just making a point. Sure. it's kind of the antithesis of of what punk rock is about really, if you're going to go there, which is critical thinking. So maybe the image and the perspective that you have been given isn't necessarily in line with what the reality is. And I think that's true across the board. Well, I think one thing, and this is just one subset of a bigger problem is that there's not a reliable media source anymore in the States. Like I, you know, like that every media is, is, I don't know that they're, 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 and I'm not getting into a conspiracy here, but it's corporate owned or like they all have their own slant now. Whereas like, you know, I don't listen to the news anymore because the news is always tainted with whatever kind of political leaning that station has, you know? So you can't go to Fox for 100% reliable, just news without like a political commentary on it. And you can't go to CNN or MSNBC for that either, because they all have their own slant and leaning on it. And they're not just reporting the facts anymore. So I think it gets a lot of people disenchanted and they start looking for other things. And then weeding through like the, 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 the thousands of fucking crazy fucking videos on YouTube and stuff. And then people get confused and lost and all that shit. And, and I've been that way too. I've gone down a bunch of 
like conspiracy wormholes before, never anything about specific about soldiers or anything, but just all kinds of shit. And then you just got to pull back from shit and, and look at things more objectively. I wish that more than anything, I wish that America had at least one objective, unbiased, like mainstream media news source. There's, you know, there are unbiased and, and good news sources, but you know, they don't reach everybody like, you know, like the mainstream news sources and, 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 you know, people get a lot of misinformation and just this COVID thing is one example of it. Like there's every day you hear surgeon general saying this, but this guy saying this, like, you know what I mean? And this guy saying this, you know, and it's like, well, what do I believe? And then these statistics are padded and these statistics are saying that and we, you know, it's just insanity, you know? And it's, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of information that people get fast. So people get information overload and they're not sitting and trying to analyze things. They're just digesting headlines and not reading like the, 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 the whole article or getting nuanced information. They're just reacting based on a headline. And those are some big problems. I think the country's facing right now that, that, uh, you know, you know, are beyond me to, 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 to change, but it's something that as a whole, we got to start thinking about, I think, and, 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 and trying to figure out ways to, to overcome that stuff because that's doing more of a disservice than anything. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I've had this conversation with lots of, lots of friends. Um, you know, critical thinking is entirely reliant on looking at facts, right? And assessing facts and trying to be able to discern exactly where the nature of a problem lies because only, you know, the only way you can solve a problem is to really effectively see whether or not you're treating the problem or you're treating a symptom of the problem. But in order to do that, you have to be given the facts in order to make that uh, conclusion. Yep. And we don't have that luxury anymore. Um, we have to look at media and then calculate, okay, well, this is a left-leaning media. This is a right-leaning media. So what their, what is their narrative based off of? And what do they have to stand from spinning a certain story this way and now I have to do some math and if I watch Fox now I have to watch CNN to kind of see what their spin is yeah. I could divide by two and do some sort of crazy math sure. or where's the overlap or where's the overlap yeah right and we shouldn't have to do that especially in this day and age um, where most middle class families you got two parents both working and sometimes both work in two jobs they don't get the time to do that anymore no so we're supposed to be informed citizens, you know, I, I would say because yeah. we're, we're supposed to vote for our yeah. representation, correct? So exactly. if we're going to do that, we have to be given the baseline understanding of where people stand and where they fit into and now uh, it's become so narrative driven and polarized that like COVID-19 is a perfect example. Uh, you got the right narrative, you got the left narrative. So me, and this is my personal opinion on COVID, um, I look at what the doctors and the scientists are saying, and I try and determine, okay, what do they have to gain from spinning an agenda where everybody stays home, right? And I, I, at this point, can't really conclude what it is that they have to gain, unless I subscribe to some really outlandish uh, theories. But as far as conspiracy theories are concerned, I get it. I, I get why people subscribe to those, because uncertainty is terrifying especially in an age of information where like you could, like you want to know what Thomas Jefferson's second kid's name was google it you're good right but covid-19 it's terrifying to people because yeah. first of all it's killing a lot of people 
And at the same time, we don't really know very much about it or, yeah. or really what the impact is going to be long term when we get to go back to work. You know, our yeah. mutual friend, Johnny, he's got a barbershop. He wants to go back to work, sure. but he's kind of, he's scared to go back to work because he, well, he can't. It's, it's, him, shit's still closed down. <laughs> yeah, shit's still closed right. down. So, so it's, it's scary. And we have a need to know the facts, right? And I'm no different. I want to know, like, when my wife was pregnant, when's this baby going to be born? What time? Yeah. And, you know, the doctor's saying, we don't, we don't have any idea. You know, maybe around this time. No, no, man. I need a, I need a time. Yeah. Like, within 30 minutes. Tell me when kids going to be born. We need that. We need that. Like it makes us feel better. It makes us feel, you know, um, relieved and relaxed to know kind of where things are. And right now that is not the case. So conspiracy theories, I think kind of provide people with an avenue to like, I know something. And I also know something that you don't know, which is also hugely satisfying yeah. to humans because we love being the bearers of bad news. And if you don't, like, all it takes is to scroll down social media to, you know, well, you know, this has been debunked, right? Or, you know, you know, it, people love doing that or yeah. they love, you know, doing the other side of the coin. Which yeah. Is, well, know, no matter what it is. Yeah. 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 Well, it, yeah. We, and it's we like, love to know shit that other people don't yeah, know. On both sides of we the coin. Yeah. <laughs> so conspiracy theories give us an, an avenue or a vehicle to both satisfy our need for, like, you know, quantification of facts and like how things are. And we get to know something that, you know, Ricky next door doesn't know. So you can be like, Hey, you know, uh, X, Y, and Z, right? Yeah. Because we love saying that. But like, as far as the media is concerned, you're absolutely correct. And we've written a bunch of songs about that. Yeah. Uh, rank and file. I wrote that, Jesus, long time ago, but it was essentially about, you get so ingrained in your own position and then the media outlet that you subscribe to, whether you're right or left, they spin it so much that eventually you don't even remember what, what your position you were supposed to be for in the first, yeah. in your first fucking place. Yep. Like, wait, wait, what do I, <laughs> I thought we were for this. We're not like, and I think COVID-19 is a perfect example. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a side that, definitively said this is a liberal hoax it's not a real disease it's a flu and it started killing tens of thousands of people and then magically like well it's it is a disease but you know it, it it's just yeah. I, I think this has really illustrated how polarized we are as a society where even something this horrible we can't be like hey you know what why don't we try and work together exactly to make exactly. this better yeah because what we typically do as americans even though we argue tooth and nail all the time about everything, if something really bad happens, when 9-11 happened, we pulled our shit together. Yep. And we acted in unison as a country and said, hey, we don't disagree. We, we disagree on everything. But yep. right now, we need to work together because things yeah. are bad. I think the it seems like that would be one of those times. Yeah, it should be, but I think the problem is is that the the things have become too politicized and 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 both sides are just playing games and it's like the the public that is going to be is the ones that are getting hurt with it. And and there's no real, you know, no one knew what this was and 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 how bad it would be or how not bad it would be and it just seems like it's 
being politicized on both sides of the spectrum and 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 everyone's concerned more with fighting than to f- figuring out what the best way to fucking do things is and and it also shows some of the gross incompetence especially of like local uh, state governments in in dealing with stuff because it's f- a fucking mess no matter what and i hope that out of if anything we're lucky that it isn't as bad as it was supposed to be and i hope that you know, a lot of these systems learn lessons uh, on how to how to be more, um, more better. Uh, more better sounds so ridiculous, but how to be better prepared no, in it, case it, there is something serious that comes along the line. Because if this was like a bowl or some fucking real serious shit, we would have been fucked as a country. In, in yeah, the world, would have like, it, you know, not just us, but um, you when know, this first when this first came out, you know, when when COVID first became uh, when we first came cognizant of it. Um, my first thing uh, was like, well, it sounds, you know, sounds kind of like the flu, you know, similar, similar death rate and everything else. And as it escalated, it really illustrated some of the, you know, absolutely right. The inadequacies that we had in, you know, in, in certain uh, portions of government. But in fairness, nobody is equipped to deal with a pandemic because yeah. uh, we haven't had to do it in a hundred sure. years. Um, but at, at the same time, thank God, this wasn't like a hemorrhagic fever or, you know, uh, plague, which still pops up every once in a while. Yeah. Um, whose you know, mortality rate is just infinitely higher. Um, so I think it's really given us, uh, a very staunch, like measuring stick as to how we're equipped to deal with something like this. Because again, in fairness, I, who would have thought? Who would have thought that we were dealing with something like this six months ago? Nobody. Four months ago, dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, so now we're really, you know, just like any kind of pandemic or catastrophe or anything, I think leadership, this is when it's tested. Yeah. Um, you either rise to the occasion and you're able to adequately deal with this as best as you can because you have to make allowances for the fact that, like, Again, this is a pandemic. This is unprecedented. It's, it's, you know, can't expect somebody to be like, yep, got this under control. We're good to go. I knew this was coming. Everything's cool. That, nah, you you didn't. Like, so being able to, like, pragmatically deal with something while trying to deal with the residual effects of a pandemic, like, it's a super hardcore challenge. But there are places that are dealing with it well and and in places that aren't but i think that's true with like anything sure um but yeah man i i think the 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 fact that it's been so politicized and so polarized that now you know it's just like gun control dude as soon as somebody says a word it triggers one side or the other and then they go into their you know their fighting position and they're not going to hear anything you say now you've exposed yourself uh we wrote a song called mass apathy after parkland and I got attacked by gun, uh, you know, NRA people. Um, it's not a, it wasn't an anti-gun song. And, and the, when I wrote it, I was like, you know what? Both sides of this argument are going to get pissed about this song because they're going to mistake it for the other side's point of view. And I was absolutely correct. Yeah. The song is about our inability to have a conversation as a country about how we deal with a problem because we've become so ingrained in our position that as soon as I say, hey, it sucks when kids get killed at school, there's going to be some gun dude that's like, what, 
Second Amendment. But at the same time, I say, I don't want all guns banned. Somebody on the other side is going to yeah. chime in. But I think and, that know, goes back to what we were saying with the media being so polarized that people are only digesting headlines. And so they're reactive based on that. You know what I mean? Like, um, and, and people don't, can't, can't handle nuance anymore or, or like a conversation about something. It's just more like, nope, nope. Like you said, like, nope, no guns or nope, no, no, no restrictions, you know? And it's just like, because they're, that's what they're fed all day for news or whatever, you know? And it's like, uh, we got to get back yeah, to being uh, able to talk about shit, man. I wonder how much social media really exacerbates that because now I don't have to hang out with people that have different, different viewpoints yeah. than me. Exactly. I do because I'm in the army. Yeah. But if you're, you know, the majority of your time is spent on social media, you're a civilian that can kind of really control uh, who you have interaction with. It's really easy yeah. to get ingrained. Like, I don't need to deal with you because you feel yeah. like, you know, different. Um, you can have I've your, never had your, that your luxury. Whole, yeah, you can have your really whole, thankful. Yeah, yeah. You can have your own little virtual isolated world of like-minded thinkers and you don't have to talk to anybody yeah, else. It, there are people who are 100% quantifiably opposed to almost everything that I think politically who are friends of mine. And I'd take a bullet for it. Yep. Uh, it, and that's kind of how it's supposed to be. Sure. We're not supposed to, we're not supposed to measure our, uh, our, you know, ability to, you know, care about people based on whether they think exactly like we do. And I think if you're like, if you're really going to talk about yourself as like a, a, a true American and, and everything else, then you really have to accept that you're supposed to have friends that don't agree with what you think. That's our, our country was categorically founded on that Yeah. with that. We don't agree with each other, but here are the things that we can't agree. We can, we can focus on the things that make us alike rather than the things that make us dissimilar. Yeah. Um, and what makes I us think, dissimilar doesn't matter unless it's infringing somehow on me, you know, or you, you know, and exactly. and, and then if otherwise, you know, go do your thing. Yes. You, you know, don't involve me if I'm not into it, you know? <laughs> no, there, you know, I have friends and relatives who I'm, you know, friends with on social media and I'll see one of their posts. I will roll my eyes and keep on scrolling. Keep going. Yep. Uh, you don't need to make a comment on it. And, you don't have to do that. Yeah. I don't have to make that a platform to, you know, this is the hill I'm going to die on. You're going to change your mind or we're not going to be friends anymore. Yeah. No, nope. that, that's, it, it's not worth it. No. it. It really isn't. There, no. there are a couple of different, a couple of things that I will not absolutely tolerate, you know, racism, hundred percent post something racist, homophobic, whatever. No, I'm not going to tolerate that. But if you, if you like a senator or a you know congressman or a policy or whatever that I don't agree with, who cares? Yeah, right. If if you know you're you're a good friend of mine, maybe we can talk about it over a beer. But I'm not going to use Facebook as my hill to die on. Now <laughs> I have been guilty of it in the past. Yeah, every once in a while, somebody will post something that's inflammatory, and I bite. Yeah. So I am a human being. No, However, no, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, in general practice, it, liter in 
you know, for public service, every time I've done that, it has pissed me off even more. Sure. There's just, it's just not, it's not worth it. And then you yeah, probably, and then afterwards right? you get upset, then you get upset with yourself for even engaging. And then it's yeah. like, there's no winning. And then I'm off and my, my daughter's trying to play with me and I'm thinking about some asshole that I've never seen before in my entire life and something he said, like, who cares? Yeah, exactly. So like, it's just, it's just not worth it. It's not worth engaging. And there's not going to be anybody on Facebook. That's like, you know what? I was a conservative, but when you posted that meme, yeah, <laughs> I realized that I shouldn't be a conservative anymore. Yeah, or or or, or vice like, versa. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was super liberal, but uh, you posted that Annie Biden meme. And yeah, I'm on your team. We're yeah. good. Nobody's so, like. <laughs> no, I hear you, man. We got to do another one of these where we can do it in in, in person too, because it's in person conversation is always so much better. But um, we we're coming. Oh, man, I agree. We're coming up at the two hour mark here, homie, and that's a good one for for a phone call, man. Let me uh, before we before we can <laughs> before we can wrap up is what's coming up, man. What what can people look out for for noise? I know you got uh, some some uh, new new uh, music coming and uh, some collaborations uh, in the clothing world. You, you're you're in the designer echelon here now and what's happening with noise man yes i i am a hundred percent a fashion designer <laughs> uh and dressed accordingly um no it uh we have a couple of singles coming out um they've already been pressed uh they're coming out on pirates press um they've done a and they've just done a phenomenal job one's called lost um uh, the other is called price we pay one is about uh, kind of the current political climate um, and kind of where we've gone as a country, and the other is about the uh, private prison system. The um, worst. I, I, I can't even start that conversation. That's one we'll say for more in person. Private the yeah, privatization man. of prisons is one of the worst ideas in the history of this fucking country, and that needs to stop fucking now, dude. Yep, and, that's, that's why I wrote it, brother. I, I, so not only that, but just the the manner with which people get railroaded into, you know, uh, again, that whole like perspective of, well, do the crime, do the time. Well, what if you get charged with a crime and you actually do it, but you can't afford to post bail. So you have to stay in jail until you're, you know, yep. you're hearing, but in doing so, you're going to get fired. You, there's nobody watch your kid. Now you have to plea out. Now you're a convicted felon, but you actually didn't do anything. Yep. Um, I, I felt like that needed to be addressed. Sure. Um, so we did a song uh, about it. Um, Pirate Express is releasing those two singles. Uh, we're doing an acoustic record that we've already recorded that'll come out eventually. Um, as, as noise, a, not you know, not your side thing. As noise, yeah. Oh, okay. As noise, they're all noise songs. Um, and then we did a collaboration with our buddies at Alberta. Uh, there's two shirts that our buddy Dan Smith did. Uh, phenomenal artist. Um, really encourage you know people to check it out. Not for our shit, but just for what O'Merits is going on. Same thing with Pirates Press. Like, again, things are really tough for a lot of different people. So I think it's kind of obnoxious to, to plug any anything that, you know, we have going on as far as people purchasing it. But um, I'm sure it'll be on Spotify. I'm sure it'll be on YouTube. Uh, if you have the means, we'd love for you to support the records. But if not, you know, just, just listen to music because uh, we'd like people to hear uh, kind of how we feel about about those things. But again, shit's tough man so yeah. <laughs> if you don't have the means please don't feel obligated yeah. to, to do anything 
sure. you know, take care of yourself. Take care of the local businesses in your area, honestly. And wh- where can people find more information? What's like the social media or the website for you guys? So we got the, the Facebook thing going on. Um, and then my Instagram, uh, we don't have a band Instagram. It's, it's more mine, but anything that happens, we, we, we tend to put it out on my Instagram, which is uh, noise with a seven instead of the exclamation point. Cause I'm really clever, but mostly because Instagram won't let you have an exclamation point. And then um, Pirates Press, um, if you just Google Pirates Press Records. Uh, they have all kinds of, of awesome stuff going on. And then Omerta, same thing, omertamia.com. And they're one of the, all the yeah. Mick, and didn't you, you guys did a record for Mick, right? Didn't you guys? Bring we did. Our very, our very, very first record uh, Mick put out, um, Walk Beside Us, was yeah. a, a collab between a few different labels. But yeah, we've, man, yeah, Mick's been a buddy for over a decade and for Nate even longer. But um, yeah, we did a, when I was in Afghanistan, we actually coordinated and put out a compilation, um, uh, front lines of American street punk, uh, which was a double LP, uh, with just a whole bunch of uh, American boy and street punk bands. But, uh, we, that was a charity record that we did for uh, wounded vets. But, um, yeah, man, it, Mick's always been a good buddy. So anything he's done, I've been 100% behind, whether it's Instapress or America, um, always got his back. Absolutely. An amazing person. Yeah. Him and Big C are, are two, two really tight friends and people I call brothers. And, and, uh, Mick's been in, a, had, a, had a lot of things with Dirty Mick Records. He had, a, he had a record store in LA and he's, he's mm-hmm. a veteran as well and served and, and, uh, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, Omerta, I can't say enough. It's like one of the most legit streetwear brands out there, like run by two of the most legit dudes I know. And it's, 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 it's not some Johnny come lately's that are latching on to a scene or something and trying to get in. Like these dudes live and breathe this shit. So, uh, com, man, make sure you, you represent and they got a ton of cool shit, man. Ton of cool shit. We, they're one of the, the, the kind of sponsors for us here on, on the podcast too. So there, there we got the, we got that one out. Um, I definitely want to thank you, uh, for, 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 uh, you know, calling in and doing this today, man. I know, I know you, you're trying to fight off your, your kid from, from having some chocolate cake and you got some uh, domestic stuff over there and, and taking time to do this is, 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 is much appreciated. Um, we'll do another one down the road, man, where we can be in the same place at the same time. And, uh, cause it's only been a few times in life where we've probably been in the same time, same place, same time, but we'll make sure we get to do one of these live because uh, it, 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 this was awesome. And I know doing it face to face would be even better. So, uh, oh, again, man, it'd be amazing. Yeah, man. I can't wait to hear the new shit. And go check out Noise, man. They got a 10-year catalog, so there's a, a lot of music that you can listen to. And if, if you're out of work, you got plenty of time right now. Or in, And if you're back to work, you got plenty of time when you're commuting to, to, to give it a listen, man. Good stuff. All Thanks right. so much, brother. I really yeah. appreciate it. Hey, hey, I had to take a... I had to take a quick pause. Um, uh, this isn't, I didn't edit anything out or anything. I just had to make a quick pause and now I'm back. I just got to, uh, read a couple of things here. Um, again, I want to thank, uh, uh, my friends at the, in the rumblers for uh, sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I also got to give a big shout out to chop cult. Um, they are one of the, uh, sponsors of the podcast as well. And if you don't know pot, if you don't know chop cult, well, you should by now, especially after uh, 16 episodes of this podcast. Um, 
They are the biggest uh, and, uh, news and social uh, network uh, and resource dedicated uh, to motorcycle riders and chopper builders. Check them out at chopcult.com. They got weekly features. Uh, they send out an email kind of a newsletter. They got a blog dump. They have classifieds where you can uh, buy, sell, trade, barter parts and bikes and whatever. Um, and a, a huge active online forum one of the uh the largest and most active online motorcycle related forums there is uh membership is free you just sign up at chopcult.com you can also find them on all the uh the uh the uh the main uh social medias uh you know instagram facebook twitter tumblr pinterest all that stuff simply at chopcult c-h-o-p-c-u-l-t and I also got to give a shout out to Amerta. We already kind of, me and Matt talked about them a little bit earlier. Um, they are a streetwear brand and uh, good friends of mine. You can check them out at omertamia.com, O-M-E-R-T-A-M-I-A. Uh, also on Instagram at omertamia. Um, it's, a, it's a clothing line, streetwear brand. They got fucking everything, socks, t-shirts, uh, outerwear, which means jackets and shit like that. Men's and women's, uh, a lot of their shit's made on uh, good quality American-made apparel. Um, and uh, it's, uh, you know, these dudes live and breathe it. It's, it's real deal dudes with a real deal company. It's not some dudes that just flew into this world and uh, uh, making money off it. These dudes uh, live and breathe it. Um, and when you uh, buy something from Amerta, you can, uh, at the checkout, where you enter promo codes when you're uh, when you're emptying your cart there and, and going to pay, uh, use the code Big Truth and you will get twenty percent off your order. Come on now, that's a fucking deal, dude. And uh, on past on past podcasts, you've heard me do the math. Uh, this time I don't get to do the math, but I will actually do it real quick. If you buy a hundred dollars worth of stuff, it'll only be eighty dollars. You get twenty dollars to do whatever else you want with. Buy more stuff with it, and then get another twenty percent off that. Man, it's like a fucking never ending cycle of saving money. Now, with that said, along the same lines, I want to uh, give a shout out to my boy Warren and uh, his company Pitchfork. If you don't know Pitchfork, uh, dude, check him out. Pitchfork, New York, dude. It's a clothing company. He's got a record label. He does all kinds of awesome. Uh, he does this whole uh, seven-inch collection uh, where he does one band from the West Coast, one band from the East Coast, one on each side of the seven-inch. They do all kinds of limited vinyls. Yeah, check them out, www.pitchforkny.com. You know what that stands for, Pitchfork New York. Pitchforkny.com. And uh, you will find all kinds of fucking merchandise and all kinds of cool shit. So just go there and check it out and support. Um, also, obviously, um, if you are in the given mood, go check out chopahead.com, my motorcycle shop. We do, we're a full service shop. Um, you know, anything from oil changes to a full custom chopper build or uh, audio for your bagger, speed work for your motor, fucking anything you need to do, we'll do it. Um, www.chopahead.com or uh, give us a call at the shop 508-995-6764. We also do online ordering. We do parts, sales, anything you need, dude. Like we're, we're in this a hundred percent. Um, we have a clothing line. We have apparel. We have a, our own line of gloves that are all us made hundred percent deerskin leather and the palms and under the fingers are all, uh, lined with Kevlar. So it's a, it's our defender series gloves. It's good for you. Motorcycle riders It's good for bounces. Good for, uh, people, uh, in, 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 in security. You know what I mean? It's a, uh, you know, it's just good stuff to have. Good to have Kevlar in your palms. Um, 
and uh, you know, or pick up a t-shirt or hat, something help uh, help uh, keep the podcast going. Uh, you can also go to www.bigtruth.com. Uh, sorry, bigtruthpodcast.com. Again, www.bigtruthpodcast.com. Um, and uh, just check out all the episodes. Uh, you know, you can also, there's a place where you can support if you feel like uh, donating. Um, and as of now, we are still planning to do the full speed ahead show in August, as long as the venue allows it. Uh, we have the date. It's just more about whether things will be opened up by then, but uh, check that out. Fullspeedaheadshow.com or Instagram at fullspeedaheadshow. Also the, uh, the, the chop ahead Instagram is just at chop ahead. Um, C H O P P A H E A D. Uh, once again, I'm signing off. I want to thank you for listening. Uh, take care, take care of yourself, stay safe, be smart, have fun, fuck shit up. Thank you. Thank you.